Well, this morning we're beginning a new series in the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible with you, can I encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. And this morning we're going to read the first 14 verses. And if you've got the Bible on your phone, you can use that as well. I, I'll trust you're not scrolling Facebook or YouTube or something else. But let's read together from God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This morning we're going to look at part of this chapter. We're not going to look at all 14 verses because there is so much in them, but we're going to ask God now to speak to us through this part of the Bible. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this letter from Paul to the Colossians. But Lord God, we recognize this morning that this letter is also from you to us today. And so, Lord, we would ask now that as we come to, to look at this part of the Bible together, that we would hear your voice speaking to us a very clear message. Lord, give us open ears and open hearts and open minds to receive what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I think we are all looking forward at some stage now in going on a summer holiday. It might not be this summer, but hopefully next summer, some of us will get away on a plane. Now, it's on the red list at the minute, but this morning, I want you to imagine that all of us are on a plane together, and we're taking off, and we are heading for Turkey. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, this morning, that's where we're going. We're heading to modern-day Turkey. Now, as we're on the airline this morning, as we're making that flight, what I want you to imagine is that as we're flying towards Turkey, we're also going back in time. And this morning what we're doing is we're going back in time to between 25 and 35 years after Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven. So we're traveling to Turkey and we're traveling back in time. 
And as we step off the plane this morning, we're going to go into a village. Actually, it's not a village. It's, it's, a, it's a marketplace in a city. And as we go into this marketplace, what we see are people from all different races. In this marketplace, we, we hear people speaking all different languages. This is a multicultural city. A people of all sorts of ideas and all sorts of religions and all sorts of backgrounds. In fact, as we walk around this city this morning, we see shrines to different gods. We see Jewish synagogues. We see that this is a melting pot of ideas and peoples and beliefs. It's a pretty exciting place for us to be this morning. This city, if you haven't guessed already, is a city called Colossae. And in this city, there are so many people with different beliefs and religions and ideas, but also in this city, there is a little tiny minority of people, a little tiny group of people, and they are called Christians. There's not very many of them. They're probably a congregation around our size in this big, big city. There's only a few of them, and they are called Christians. And it's to this little minority of people that the Apostle Paul writes this letter, the letter of Colossians. So this is who the letter of Colossians is primarily to. It's to a small group of Christians in the city of Colossae. And we see that in verses 1 or 2. Have a look with me there. The letter starts out, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, Paul, he's the main author of this letter. And Paul, if you notice, he calls himself an apostle. And an apostle was someone who was sent out by God to do something. He was sent out by God to tell people about Jesus, and he was also sent out by God to encourage people to keep living for Jesus. And this letter, that's what it's all about. It's all about encouraging people to keep living for Jesus. It's a letter of encouragement. And my hope is that over these next number of weeks, that as we study the book of Colossians together, that what my hope is, is that we're encouraged to keep living for Jesus. Because it's not easy. It's not easy to follow Christ in the world we live in today, just as it wasn't easy in Colossae. Now, maybe you're wondering this morning, well, why did the Colossians need encouragement? I mean, Marty, what was going on in their lives that they needed Paul to encourage them? Well, some of us, we might think, the first thing that might come to your mind is persecution. You know, we know that the early church were persecuted, don't we? They were persecuted for their faith. So the, the first thought that might come to your mind is, Marty, maybe he's writing because they're being persecuted, but actually that's not the case. They're not being persecuted yet. Just like we're not really being persecuted yet either. So why is Paul writing to encourage them? Well, the answer is actually quite clear. You see, remember I said that Colossae was this melting pot of ideas. Colossae was this city where there were people from different races and different backgrounds and different ideas. This was a city where people believed all sorts of different things. And what was happening in Colossae was because the Christians, this little minority, were surrounded by so many ideas, they were being tempted to give up their beliefs. They were being tempted to, to maybe not follow Jesus because nobody else was following Jesus. 
They were tempted to maybe stop believing the gospel about Jesus because nobody else in the city believed it. They were being put under pressure to change or to give up their beliefs. They were being put under pressure by the majority around them to stop living for Jesus. That's why Paul is writing, to encourage them to keep on keeping on, to keep following Christ, to keep believing the gospel. I wonder this morning, can you relate to the situation the Colossians were in? I wonder, can you relate to that this morning? You see, Northern Ireland, it used to be this place where the majority of people believed in Jesus. It used to be this place where the majority of people went to church. It used to be a place where the majority of people would have identified as being Christians. But not anymore. No, in Northern Ireland now, we are the minority. We are now the weirdos. We are now the strange ones. Do you believe that stuff about Jesus? Ah, get your head looked. You're living your life according to what Jesus says. You are crazy. We are the minority now. And there are so many different ideas that are, that are put around us, not by people in a city, but by the internet and by people on social media and by all different sorts of people. We know that there are billions of people across the world who don't believe Jesus was the Son of God and certainly do not follow Him. Does that never make you question whether you're right too? We've lots of friends and family and, and lots of different people who do not even think about living Jesus' way. Does that not make you question whether or not you're wise to live Jesus' way? Some of you in here this morning are teenagers and you're young adults. And my guess is that out of all of us, you're the people who experience this the most. And for you folk especially, you see in the next 10 and 20 and 30 years, you see as you grow up into adulthood and into being older, the pressure on you is going to be immense to pack it all in, to stop believing the gospel, to stop living for Jesus. This was the situation that the Colossians were in. And so Paul writes to them, and he writes to them to encourage them to keep on keeping on. And this morning in, in the first six verses, what we see Paul doing is something very specific. What we see is Paul encouraging the Christians in Colossae to keep on believing the gospel, to keep on believing the good news about Jesus. And today, this gospel, it's, it's, it's hard to believe because of pressure put on from around us, isn't it? The gospel says that we're all flawed, sinful people. And society says there's nothing wrong. The gospel says that our relationship with God is broken and damaged and needs to be reconciled. And society says, if there is a God, I'm sure he's happy enough with you. The gospel says that Jesus died so that we could be forgiven and that he rose again so we could have eternal life. And society around us says you can't surely believe that. Our society encourages us to abandon believing the gospel, to abandon believing the good news about Jesus. And so Paul, he writes to the Colossians, and he writes to us this morning 
to encourage us to keep on believing the gospel. And there are three reasons Paul gives us to believe the gospel. There are three reasons in these first six verses that Paul gives us to keep believing the gospel. And this morning, I want you to to engage your mind as we think about these reasons. The first reason Paul says that we should keep believing the gospel is because it has made a real difference in our lives. The gospel has made a difference in our lives. And we see him highlighting the difference that it's made in the lives of the Colossians. Have a look at verses 3 to 6 with me. Paul says, We always give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray to you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Do you see the three differences the gospel has made? It's given the Colossians faith in Jesus Christ. It's given them a love for all the saints, and it's given them hope in heaven. Let's think about these differences this morning. The gospel has caused them to have faith in Jesus Christ. In this room this morning, many of you have believed the gospel. You have heard the wonderful news about Jesus, and you have believed it. And think about the difference that has made. Whenever you believe the gospel, you put your faith in Jesus. Before hearing the gospel, maybe you were relying on yourself to be good enough for God. Before you believed the gospel, maybe you were relying on trying to be good enough to please Him. You relied on yourself before you believed the gospel. And when you relied on yourself, you were full of fear because you knew yourself. You knew that you weren't good enough for God. You knew that you failed every single day of life and you were full of fear. And it was a scary thing to rely on yourself. But then you heard the wonderful, great, good news. Jesus has died that you can be forgiven. Jesus has lived the perfect life, and if you trust in Him, His record will be yours. If you put your faith in Jesus, you'll be right before God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And you heard that good news, and you put your faith in Jesus. You put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. I know what a difference that made to you. Doesn't it make a difference? Hasn't it made a difference? You're no longer filled with fear. But you're filled with faith that God now accepts you. You're no longer scared when you mess up but you feel free to go to the Father and confess your sins and be forgiven. The gospel, when we believe it, gives us faith in Christ, and that changes everything. Do you remember what it's like to believe the gospel? Do you remember what it's like? It it changes us. It gives us a faith in Christ that takes away our fear and gives us freedom. 
there's another difference that the gospel makes. And, and again, we see this in our passage. The, the gospel also caused these Colossians to love each other. Paul says, I, I give thanks to you when I hear about you because of your love, the love you have for the saints. In other words, the love for you, those you have in your church family. And whenever I lived in Bangor, I used to always see a bumper sticker. There was a car and I saw it all the, all the time and it had this symbol on it here. Do you see it? The coexist symbol. And I like the symbol. It's got, you know, the, the crescent to represent Islam and it's got the, 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 the different symbols of different religions. And the idea of this, this kind of symbol is that we in the world should all just coexist. You know, we're all different. We all have different languages. We all have different religions. We all have different ideas. And wouldn't the world just be a wonderful place if we could all just coexist in harmony? And I love that idea. I do. I love it. I love that idea. <laughs> but that's not the real world, is it? That's not the real world. I mean, you put people from different religions and different political views and different backgrounds and you put them all in the same room, and you put them in there long enough, and do you know what happens? They start to fall out, and they fight, and they cannot get on. What happens is that they divide into the little subgroups, and you have one group over here, and 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 they don't come together, and they can't get on. That's the reality of the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, why do you think there are such huge wars between people of different tribes and people of different sects and within their own religion? It's because in the real world, it's really difficult, if not impossible, to live in harmony with other people. But this was happening in the church in Colossae. You know, whenever we look around here this morning, most of us are white, English-speaking Northern Irelanders. We all have similar backgrounds. We all have similar ideas about things. We were all brought up in a similar way. And so, in some ways, it's quite easy for us to get on. But you see, in Colossae, the church in Colossae, it was as diverse as the city itself. It had people from different backgrounds and, and different religions growing up and different political ideas, and they were all in this church together. They'd all been saved by Jesus Christ. And yet what Paul says is that the gospel has caused them to love each other. I have heard, says Paul, about the love you have for all the saints, not just the white saints, not just the saints who speak with a Northern Ireland accent. I have heard about your love for all the saints. And folks, I don't know about you, but, but something really strange happened to me whenever I believed the gospel. Something really weird happened to me whenever I put my faith in Christ. And that's that I genuinely started to love God's people. I actually love all of you. I love you. I know that sounds very soppy. I don't mean in a romantic way or in a soppy way, but, but I genuinely love you. When I think about you, I have a deep care for you. When I pray for you, it's, 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 there's a love within my heart when I do it. 
even if you don't necessarily like me very much or, or don't like everything about me, I love you. And what I've seen at Ravenhill, and, and maybe I'm deluded, <laughs> but what I think I've seen at Ravenhill is that you all seem to love each other as well. Even though you're different, even though you disagree on some things, even though you might have different opinions and views, I get the sense that within this church family that you all genuinely love each other. Well, you might wind each other up sometimes. It's real family, isn't it? But this is what happens whenever we believe the gospel. Suddenly we, we love people in the church. Suddenly we see them as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Suddenly there is a love that we didn't know could even exist. That was the difference, the second difference it made to the Colossians. And the third difference was that it gave them a hope in heaven. It gave them hope. I do a lot of funerals. I've done much more funerals than weddings. And I've buried different people. And there are two different types of people I have buried. I have buried some people who had faith in Jesus Christ. I bury some people who were Christians. I bury some people who maybe had a very public or maybe a very quiet and private faith, but they'd faith in Christ nonetheless. And I've also buried people who, who had no real faith in Christ, who had no interest in spiritual things. I've maybe been asked to do a funeral by, by just someone in the local community with no church connection and they have no faith. And do you know what I see? I see a big difference in the congregation. A massive difference in the feeling of the service. Those who, who, who are burying loved ones who had no faith in Christ or interested in Christ, th there is just a, a complete another sadness and an emptiness. They're there and they're sitting and they're, they're hearing me speak, but there is no real hope of heaven. They simply believe that their, their loved one is gone, that that's it. They sit there and they, and they grieve and, and there's absolutely no hope. But on the other hand, when I do the funeral of someone who has put their faith in Christ, yes, the congregation are sad. Of course they are. Of course they're upset. But there is a hope. There is a solid and real and living hope because they have believed the gospel and they have believed that, that everyone who dies in Christ will have eternal life. And folks, is this not one of the differences the gospel has made to us? We live as people who hope for something after death. We live as people who, sure, we don't want to die, but we're not afraid of death. We don't see it as the end. The gospel has given us hope beyond the grave. Hope of heaven. Oh, Colossians, Paul says, keep believing the gospel because it's made a difference in your lives. It's given you faith in Christ. It's given you a love for the saints and it's given you a hope of heaven. And this morning, folks, I want you to encourage you to keep believing the gospel because it's made a difference in your lives. We'll move on now to the second reason, and don't worry that the last two reasons are not as, as long as that first one, but the second reason Paul encourages them to keep believing the gospel is because he says it's bearing fruit 
all over the world. Have a look with me at verse 6 if you've got your Bibles opened. Paul says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Hey, Colossians, you're a little tiny group of people, okay? Colossians, I know that you think that most people in your city don't believe the gospel, but listen, Colossians, what I want you to know is that all over the world, the gospel is saving people. Colossians, what I want you to know is that you're not alone. All over the world, the gospel is transforming lives. All over the world, the gospel is giving people a faith in Christ. All over the world, the gospel is transforming societies. Oh, little Colossians, you might be a minority where you are, but rest assured of this, you can believe the gospel because it's changing the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere it's being planted. Like I said earlier, in Northern Ireland, we're becoming the minority. In Northern Ireland, the accusation is that we're on the wrong side of history for believing in Jesus Christ. In Northern Ireland, we're, we're made to think that, that really Christianity is on the decline and that we're a bit silly for continuing to believe. But church family, I want you to know this morning is that just as in Paul's day, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. There is one, only one, completely Islamic country in the world. It's Iran. And it's called the Islamic Republic of Iran. In Iran, they live according to the Quran. In Iran, they have Sharia law. Iran is the most Muslim place in the whole world. And you know what's happening there? The gospel is just bearing fruit. God is doing something in Iran that, that nobody could have guessed or imagined. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Muslim people are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Earlier this month, we, we just had Ramadan in the Muslim countries. This special time for Muslims when they, they really try to seek their God. And you know what seems to be happening in Ramadan and Iran and other Muslim countries? That people go seeking Allah and finding Jesus. They go into Ramadan and they're, they're seeking Allah, but they find Jesus Christ. They have dreams about Jesus. And then suddenly someone comes and, and they share the gospel with them. And they're saved and they're transformed. Folks, the, the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. It is still powerful. God is still using it. And people are still becoming Christians in their thousands. Even in this room this morning, the gospel has borne fruit. Even in this room this morning, the gospel has powerfully transformed many of your lives. So let's keep believing the gospel because it's still bearing fruit even if we are a minority of people who believe it. And then we come to the final reason. What is the final reason why you and I should believe the gospel? Why should we believe 
the good news about Jesus. Well, Paul says the final reason to believe it is because it's true. Because it's true. I don't know if you noticed how Paul described the gospel in verses 5 and verses 6, but if you have a look at your Bibles, you'll see that he describes it in this way. First of all, he calls the gospel the word of truth. He says, the word of truth, the gospel. And then in verse 6, he describes the gospel as God's grace in all its truth. Paul says to the Colossians, listen, little minority church, I want you to keep believing the gospel because it's true. It's true. We live in a society today where if you say that anything is true, it's like people's antennae go up. He just said something's true. That there is a skepticism in our world, there is a, a cynicism in our world today that if you claim that anything is true, you must be lying. There's a skepticism that if you say that anything is true, you can't be right. Today there is this idea that things cannot be true, that there's no such thing as real truth. But there is. There is real truth. There are things that are true. Grass is green. The earth is round. There are things that are true. Adolf Hitler lived. Joseph Stalin lived. There are things that are true. And one of the things that Paul says is true, and one of the things that the Bible affirms is true, and one of the things that we can believe is true for different reasons is that the gospel is true. And we can believe the gospel is true for, for two main reasons. The first one is because of historical fact. There was a man called Jesus Christ. He did make the claims that he made. He did die on a cross. He was buried in a public tomb. The tomb did appear empty. Witnesses did testify to seeing him. Witnesses did testify to see him ascend into heaven. And history books have even testified to the truth of this as well. The historicity of Jesus Christ and all that he did is overwhelming if you go and look. The gospel is historically true. It is factual. There is evidence. The gospel is true. But the gospel is also experientially true. I am terrible at DIY. And one of the products I really love, because I never know what I'm meant to be buying, I love Ron Seal. You know Ron Seal? Do you remember those ads? Ron Seal. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Do you know that ad? I love Ron Seal. You know, Ron Seal, quick drying wood paint. Okay, that's wood paint that's going to dry quickly. It does what it says on the tin. And that's what the gospel does, doesn't it? Those of us who have believed the gospel, what we have seen is that the gospel does exactly what it says on the tin. It brings us freedom. It brings us forgiveness. It brings us transformation. 
It brings us into a relationship with God. We can know the gospel is true because we've experienced its truth in our lives. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Folks, this morning, maybe you feel under great pressure to, to give up believing the gospel. Maybe you feel under pressure this morning to, to bring other beliefs in alongside the gospel, even though they might contradict each other. Maybe this morning you feel under pressure to, to shape or to twist or to remold the gospel to be a bit more palatable. Maybe this morning you can identify with the Colossians you feel under pressure to give up believing the gospel. Well, the Lord would say to you this morning, keep on believing it. It's made a difference in your life. It's still bearing fruit. And it is true. As I finish, I just want to encourage you to do one thing in response to this sermon. I don't know if you noticed, but did you notice in verse 3 what we were actually reading this morning when we read the passage? Did, did any of you pick it up? If you have a look at verse 3, look at what Paul says as he, as he starts to say what he's saying in verses 3 to 14. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. And what Paul's doing in these verses is he's saying to the Colossians, hey Colossians, this is the stuff I'm praying for you. I'm praying these things for you. And the one thing that I want to encourage you to do this morning is to pray for one another. Pray for each other that, that we would keep on believing the gospel. For those teenagers we have amongst us, pray particularly fervently for them that they would keep on believing the gospel. For those young adults among us this morning, keep on praying for them that they would keep on believing the gospel and pray for each other including myself that we would keep on keeping on believing the gospel let's pray together heavenly father you know that we live in a world where it is becoming increasingly difficult to keep believing the gospel we live in a world where we are under pressure to forget about Jesus, to, to bin living for Jesus, to bin the gospel that we believe, or to reshape it, to make it more palatable, or to hold other beliefs alongside it. Lord, you know the immense pressure that many of us feel under to stop believing the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray for each of us that you would remind us of your word this morning. Lord, help us to remember the, the difference the gospel has made in our lives. Help us to remember the power that the gospel still has to change lives. And help us to remember that despite what anyone else says, whenever we look at the truth, whenever we look at history, that we find that your gospel is true. Father, I pray for each of us. Help us to cling to your gospel. Help us to keep believing it all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.